Thank you, Megan. Uh, Start a new series this morning. Um, we have in April revival, and you can't really plan a revival because revival is God showing up, and I can't twist God's arm and say you have to show up at this date, at this time, and be there and speak to me. Because he's God. I don't control him. Um, there's a great quote by G. Campbell Morgan where, where basically he says, you know, we can't schedule and control revival. But what we can do is set ourselves in God's direction and pray that he bring a fresh wind of his spirit. And um, that's my heart. And I, over the next number of weeks, of course, not Easter Sunday, but I want to talk about awakening the church. I, I want to talk about God. Uh, this morning I titled this Awakening the Sleeping Giant. And a couple of scriptures, uh, one in Matthew 16 and then Acts chapter 2 that we're going to look at. And, uh, while you guys are turning to Matthew 16, I'm going to ask you to stand in God's honor as we have our scripture reading. And uh, as everybody turns, I want to thank those who participated in the uh, progressive dinner last night. Uh, I was in one of the groups, had a ball. I enjoyed being with you and, of course, eating and, and the fellowship. And just appreciate, uh, appreciate the church. All right, Matthew 16, uh, starting at verse 13 through 18. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And, and now turn with me over to Acts chapter 2. And I want to read 47, I mean 41 through 47 of Acts chapter 2, 41 to the end of the chapter. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Uh, Father, what we long for around here is that the Spirit of God through the Word of God, would transform the people of God. And Father, uh, we need you, Lord. 
you're the audience. You're the one we're here for. You're the one we desire to please. Not each other, but you. And God, um, I just ask for your uh, presence to continue to, to be in this time, Lord. Uh, we want to hear from you, so speak, Lord. And may our hearts and ears be open as you do. In the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Anniversaries are great occasions to evaluate our lives. Uh, in January, Cindy and I had our 25-year wedding anniversary. And, you know, it's amazing. You say, where'd the time go, you know? And and you look back, and I, I can remember back, you know, when I met her, and man, I was smitten, you know. We, after three months, I asked her to marry me. You know, I had it bad. I remember a friend of mine saying, man, you better slow down. You're kind of out of control. And, uh, wow. You know, and, and uh, then I look back and I see how God has, has uh, just blessed us through the years. And how much I've grown to love her. And You know, at first you have that tingle. But then as the time goes by, you learn to be grateful for so many other things. And, and then as I think ahead, I think, God, you know, what lies ahead? What... What do I want to see as as Cindy and I uh, go go together in the days ahead? And and you know I sit there and I think about that in regard to a marriage anniversary, but it's also true within a church. And today, as we do this series on the church, you know, um, we look back to where this church was formed, where God gave a heart and, and God gave a burden. And, and He said, I, I want a group of people to, to come out and to gather, form Kingsway Baptist Church and honor me and to love me and to worship me. And, and so here we are these years later, you know, church formed in the late 70s, and here we are these years later, and asking, okay, here's where we are. And, and then we ask, where do we want to go? Lord, what do we want to see? Who do we want to be, Lord? And I just want to share with you a little bit, guys. I, I look back in our Constitution. And uh, when God brought the group of people together, those first ones of Kingsway Baptist Church, He gave them a dream. He gave them a heart. He said, okay, uh, guys, this is who I want you to be. And in our Constitution, I just want to read from the Constitution. You know, I started uh, looking at this afresh this week, and I thought, man, you know, when experiencing God came out, that seemed so new. Man, that seems like what I'm going to read to you here. Listen to this. This is in the uh, the objectives of Kingsway Baptist in the Constitution. Uh, objective one, to be a dynamic spiritual organism empowered by the Holy Spirit to proclaim and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with as many people as possible in our community and throughout the world. I love that dynamic organism. In other words, it's not just a matter of getting organized. It's being filled with God. And, and, and the next one here, he says, to be a worshiping fellowship, experiencing an awareness of God, recognizing His person and deity, sharing His great love, responding to His leadership at all times. I, I love that. He, he, he's God the boss, you know. And then the next one here, to experience an increasingly meaningful fellowship with God and fellow believers. God, I just want to know you more. And I want to share that with your people. And here's another one. To help people experience a growing knowledge of God and man's relationship to Him. That personal relationship. We want it to grow. 
to be a church which ministers unselfishly to persons with spiritual and physical needs in the local community and throughout the world in Jesus' name. To be a church whose purpose is to be like Christ in our daily living by emphasizing total commitment of life, personality, possessions to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. To be a church where, motivated by God's love, the gospel will truthfully and faithfully proclaimed in all its purity and power through the preaching and teaching ministry of its every organization. And then finally, to be a church where people from all walks of life may freely assemble for worship and feel the reality of God's presence and great love unhindered by unchristian attitudes. Now, I wasn't one of the first ones there, obviously, when this was written, but man, I still agree with this. This is good stuff. I, I, I think this, this is in agreement where God wants us to go. But as I look at this, I want to go further back than when this church uh, became constituted. I want to look back to when the church came into existence. When the church of Jesus Christ was first formed. And, and look back at our first scripture reading, Matthew 16. In Matthew 16... We start out here, and Jesus has the guys gathered, the disciples together. And He asks a question. Who do people say the Son of Man is? And He gets several replies. Some John the Baptist, some Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He's like, what's the word out there? Who am I? But then He zeroes in, and He wants to hear directly from them. Not who do others say I am. Who do you say that I am? And Peter gives this answer. In verse 16, Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. This was not revealed to you by man, but my, by my Father in heaven. You see, when God is at work, and when He forms His church... He reveals to people one at a time who Jesus is. That He is the Son of the living God. That He is the Anointed One. That He is the Savior. That He is the Messiah. That He is the Deliverer. Guys, that He is the ultimate hope. That's where it begins as He touches that individual heart with that truth. And then as we come together, it's a church. It's a, a bonding of people that come together with that clear understanding of who Jesus Christ is. Now, as we go on here, I want you to notice what He says. He says, and I tell you that you're, that you're Peter, and on this rock I build my church. Not on Peter. He's talking about himself. Upon me, Jesus Christ, the church, will be built. The church is not run by a pastor. It is not a democracy where it's just whoever's the majority vote. When a church is really functioning as a church, God is the head of it. Jesus Christ is the leader. He is the one who builds the church. And He's still at it, guys. <laughs> he, he's built the church in the past and He's still building the church. And that's my heart, that's my hope that we'll say, God, You build. God, You be the architect. God, You be the builder. Jesus, take charge of us. Lord, just do Your work. Matter of fact, as He goes on here, He says, uh, I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. 
You know, I look at that and we say, well, we have all these enemies, you know, there's the devil and, and of course there's the world system that's against us and, and um, all these enemies of the church. There's the sinful nature. But the truth of the matter is, he says, hey, none of that is victorious over the church. The greatest enemy of the church is the church. It's losing sight of Jesus. You see, Jesus has to be central to this place. Jesus has to be central to each heart. Jesus Christ has to be the one. It's all about Him in this place. He calls us out for that purpose, to bring Him glory. A a church is not a body of believers uh, tied to politics, cultural boundaries, language restrictions, denominations. It's not just a business with a cross stuck on top of it. No. The church is a place of people transformed by the Spirit of God through the Word of God who become God's people. Who become God's people as He works among us. Now, let's turn to Acts chapter 2 as we have this description of, of the early church. Actually, i look first at Acts chapter 1. There's persecution. God's people are afraid. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 1, we find them. Look at uh, verse 13. It says, when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. And it names the apostles. And then in verse 14, it says, they, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So there was this holy huddle. And, man, they were desperate. And they were crying out to God constantly. They were saying, God, we're, we're, we're trapped. God, the only, the only hope we have is You. God, we need You to show up or we're history. And in the process of that, we're going to see how God will, will move and answer to prayer and how he, how he works. But verse 15, it says, In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. About 120. So we had 120 in the holy huddle. And God's at work in them. And as they pray, He's preparing them. And then it goes on, the rest of the text, they replace Judas with Matthias. And then we come to chapter 2. What a great chapter. It talks about, they have gathered for the Feast of Pentecost. And it, God shows up in His power. It, verse 2, a, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. Filled the whole house where they were sitting. <laughs> and, and what a picture here. They saw it seemed to be tongues separated came to rest on each of them. And the Holy Spirit began to work in them. And it, it talks about speaking in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And just amazing as there's this great crowd of people who spoke different languages from different cultures. It was a very diverse setting. In verse 6 it says, When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Each one heard them speaking in his own language. <laughs> Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? (laughs) Then how is it that each of us hears them in his native language? And then it goes to to, uh, list these different 
places where these people are from. It's just an amazing thing. And the emphasis here that I read is not on the fact that they're speaking languages. It's that they're hearing each one in his own language and understanding it. God was beginning to take a people who were diverse, who were different, and He was going to bring them together and He was going to unify them. He wanted them to hear with the same ears and to hear with the same heart and to become a people together. That's what He was doing. That's what He was about. And, and man, it's some amazing stuff. Verse 12 here, amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? And there's always a few critics in verse 13. <laughs> Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Well, man, it was such an amazing experience. Was like, what is going on here? And then Peter, he stands up and he starts preaching. And the whole message is about Jesus. The whole message is he's saying, look, guys, Jesus Christ, He came. He was rejected. He was beaten up. He was led to a cross. And now He's alive. He's resurrected. Man, I mean, He he lays it on the line and He preaches as God is leading Him. And there's a power that goes out from Him. And then in verse 36, uh, He says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, look what happens here at the end of this message. He says, I just want you guys to know that you're responsible. Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? In other words, they were under deep conviction. God, you know, it's one thing when you speak to people and it's something else when God speaks to me. That was what was happening. God was speaking to a crowd, but He was speaking to each one individually, each heart. And they were cut to the heart. And they said, what do we do? Man, deep conviction. Now, look what He says here. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. (laughs) With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. He says, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And what happened was amazing. Look at what it says next. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Man, can you imagine? Peter preaches and I'm wondering if he's thinking... God, I wonder what's going to happen. What's going to come out of these few words I'm sharing? Wow! 3,000 believe. And you know something, uh, Mark and I prayed Wednesday as I started working on this thing. And I said, you know, Mark, one thing I've thought about a lot, we always talk about the 3,000. You know, becoming Christians, trusting Christ. But, you know, I don't think I've ever heard anybody really talk anything about the baptism. It says that 3,000 of them, man, they were baptized. Can you imagine? I don't know where they went to, but they needed a big place to put 3,000 people in that water and start baptizing. I mean, even if you took the apostles, we say you got a dozen of them. 3,000? That's a lot of baptizing. You, that's some celebration. That's some waters moving and being parted. 
And it was kind of funny because, you know, we, Mark and I prayed at the end. You know how you find yourselves and you just pray? And I said, and Mark kind of laughing at me. I said, Lord, I said, I want to see some of that. Now, I, Lord, I, I don't want to sound greedy. Lord, I don't say you have to save 3000 when you know, from a message. But, Lord, I, I, I'm not too greedy. I'll take 1%. Lord, how about 30 Well, God, that even sounds greedy. How about half a percent? Fifteen would be pretty good. Be pretty happy with that, Lord. Father, just a movement of you. And you see, this wasn't about Peter speaking. This was about God at work. This was about His Spirit touching hearts as He had prepared them for that place to come there. And the church was formed. Now, uh, let's drop down here to uh, verse 42. I just want you to look at the church. You know, we talk about, well, what's in a church? There are four elements mentioned here. You can have more, but you can't have less. Where you have a true church, there are these four elements. Let's look at them. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and breaking of bread and to prayer. First, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching of Let's not take for granted the Bible. Where there's a church, the Bible becomes alive as the Spirit of God is at work. And may that never be sacrificed. That happens where there's a church. The Bible's not neglected. But God speaks through His Word. And and, and that's a big important part of of the pulpit and of Sunday school teachers and and, and any groups that are working in. That God's Word is is addressed... (laughs) That, that it, we have a heart for His Word. Now, the second one here that is mentioned uh, besides biblical teaching is fellowship. And that word fellowship talks about shared hearts. That's what happens when there is genuine Christian fellowship. Guys, we share hearts. Uh, it's hard to really explain that. But there's just something that happens where we're melded together as we love Jesus together. He teaches us about Himself through each other. And koinonia, uh, fellowship happens, where suddenly we become closer than we ever thought because He brings us closer to Him. He brings us closer together. That's fellowship. That's what they had there. Thirdly, there is worship. Uh, spoken here of breaking of bread. And, of course, of the Lord's Supper, and Jesus broke the bread, thinking of His broken body. Where there is a picture of the broken body, there is a picture of worship. It is a picture of remembering Him. Uh, remember the road to Emmaus that happened sometime later, uh, that was spoken of in the Scriptures Basically, a couple of the disciples were walking along the road and they were talking about the events of Jesus' final days and the crucifixion and the empty tomb. It says that Jesus came up behind them and started walking with them. They didn't recognize Him. And as they began to talk, Jesus said, Hey, what is it you guys are talking about? You haven't heard? Where have you been? And so they said, Well... You know, this is what's happened. The tomb was empty, but we really don't understand what happened. And in verse 27 here, he says, uh, 
And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Can you imagine? Uh, This is Luke 24, by the way. He says, uh, (laughs) what was that a bit like then? They're walking down the road and Jesus starts at the beginning of the scriptures and starts talking about, hey, this is talking about me. This was referring to me. This points to me. You know, what, 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 yeah. he's going through that. He goes through the whole scriptures. And they're just like overwhelmed, man. And, and then he comes down. I want you to drop down there, uh, Luke 24, verse 30. It says, when he was at the table with him. And, and here, here's what happened. Uh, he started to walk away after their walk. And they begged him to stay and enjoy a meal together. He sat down with them. Describes that in verse 30. It says, When he was at the table with him, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And I want you to notice what happened. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road? And open the scriptures to us. That's worship. Your heart burns, man. You, you, you see Jesus. That's what happens. There's this awareness of God through Jesus Christ. And worship occurs. That's what happens in a church. And one last one is prayer. Prayer changes us from the inside out. That conversation that goes on with the living God. Uh, where we share with him our hearts. But more importantly, he shares his heart with us. And there's this change. And Richard Burr says there's four levels of that. There's the secret chamber. You know, when you pray by yourself, uh, there's praying in the family altar, coming together with your personal family and praying. There's praying a few, a small group. And then there's corporate prayer. But regardless, prayer is essential to church life. Because it is saying, God, I invite you into my heart, into the heart of this church to work. You see, think about that early church. There was no structure, no politics, no cliques, no guidelines, no economic status, no inviting, no board meetings, no turf protection. Only room for God. Now, um, I want you to notice here in verse 47 of Acts 2. Back to Acts 2. Did it work? (laughs) Did God work in that early church? Well, of course, we know they went from 120 to 3,120. That's a pretty good start. But did it continue? Verse 47, Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Man, that's exciting. Added daily. Well, how long did this go on? I just want to take just a few minutes and go through a couple of scriptures here. Let's march through Acts. Acts chapter 4, verse 4. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. Now, chapter 5, verse 14. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. 6, 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Then they just keep growing rapidly and and the priests uh, became obedient to the faith. Um, 9.31 
Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. And then one more, eleven twenty-one through 24 The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad, boy, that's an understatement, and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. As F.F. Bruce called it, a spreading flame. Now, in order to go forward, we need to look back. Not saying, God, you have to do this, but setting ourselves in the direction of God so that His wind can blow our way and move in among us and, and, and do His change and, and do His work. Okay, as I close, I want to look at four, uh, just four truths as I sum this together. Number one... Uh, Clear biblical thinking must override secular and corporate mentality. You know, if we're not careful, we want to do what the next guy's doing. We want to follow the business model. We want to see what church is effective and try this program and that program. But that must never be a substitute for seeking God through His Word and what's He want to say to us. Secondly, uh, accurate decisions must originate from Scripture, not human opinions. There's some smart people in our midst, but not wiser than Scripture. We must have a standard. Third, uh, wise essential changes must occur to counteract signs of erosion. If left to ourselves, the natural path is erosion. We move further from God. Our faith erodes. Our commitment erodes. Uh, years ago I heard I can't even remember who it was but it sticks in my head they said when God works first he works in the heart of a man and then it becomes a movement as God spreads out and then it becomes a monument I guess what I want to challenge us uh, I just don't want us to become a monument I don't want us to become just a church building or just a church service or just another gathering of people. Um, I want us to to be gods and, and to, to counteract that. I want to read to you from a blog uh, from Greg Simmons. He says, Tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. <laughs> Tradition lives in conversation with the past while remembering where we are and when we are, and that it is we who have to decide. Traditionalism supposes nothing should ever be done for the first time. So all that's needed to solve any problem is to arrive at the supposedly unanimous testimony of the homogenized tradition. Tradition lives in conversation with the past while remembering where we are and when we are, and that is we who have to decide. God's message must remain central. We can't mess with the message, but we can choose different methods to communicate the message. If at any point our methods outshine the message, we just screwed up. So it changes uh, to this erosion. Had to have to be in connection with God. Fourth, and this is the last one, we need to be nobody else 
but who God made us. Hey, listen, God's given us a distinct place. It's not a matter of how big or how small it is. It's a matter of that we be who He has called us to be. Now, in the time I have been at Kingsway Baptist Church, one thing I have noticed around here, there are a lot of people that end up at Kingsway Baptist Church who've been hurt somewhere else for some reason. And they find a place where they're able to just be loved. And I've seen that over and over. I think that's uh, part of who we are. And uh, not that's not all that we are. But may we just be who God made us. Not try to be something else. Listen to A.W. Tozer, and, and, and then we're going to uh, be, I'll close. He wrote, The world's waiting to hear an authentic voice, a voice of God, not an echo of what others are doing and saying. May God speak to us instead of us trying to chase what others are saying. Lord, we come to a time now, Father, as we look back, look back to the dream you gave to the hearts of this fellowship, and look back further to the original work of church, Lord. Father, give us a burden and a heart not to do church, but to be the church, Lord. And to, Father, be a people who, Lord, look to the Word, to the Scripture, teaching. Father, who uh, have authentic fellowship and worship and prayer. God, what are you up to among us? Uh, Father, we want to be put in a position where our cells are aimed your direction that the wind of your Spirit might blow. Father, I pray this morning as we stand to sing, our altar is open, maybe some have a heavy heart and need to come and to pray. Your word in Psalm 55, 22 uh, tells us, uh, Father, that uh, you will sustain us, that we're to lay our burdens upon you, that you will not let the righteous fall. And I thank you for that promise, Lord. But, Father, uh, may people who have heavy heart just come and to pray and to remember you... You're listening. And Father, for other decisions, there may be decisions you want made this morning, people to step out and maybe to trust you for the first time, to say, hey, you know, I'm religious or I have a background with church, but this idea of being cut to the heart and Jesus speaking directly to me and, and just, you know, saying, okay, God, I need to be forgiven. I need to become part of your people. Uh, maybe that is just clicked for the first time. And I, I pray if that's the case, uh, all you need to do is just agree with God and say, forgive me of my sin, and Lord, I want to come to you. I want your forgiveness, and I want to be new. Father, if you touch someone's heart in that way, may they come let us know, uh, Father, that uh, we may celebrate and move forward uh, together. Uh, Father, whatever you're up to, may you be free to do so. We expect you, Lord, and we need you. In the name of Jesus, we pray.